podcast that shakes and stirs up pharmacy. Welcome to PBN on the Rocks. So I'm two-fisted drinking today. I've been very distracted. Um, nice. Two-fisted drinking, I mean that. We're under a, an intense heat wave. So I've got, I brought limoncello to drink today. Uh, however, a dog that I was fostering over the weekend, well, I've loved it. I've been fostering for so months. Over the weekend, I returned him back to its owner and he ran away and he ran away apparently into like the most scrub desert. Uh, they're out in North Peoria. So it's like the most scrubby desert there is. And he's been gone for four days, but I've been oh, so distracted trying to find him. It's, it's really off. Like, I just love this dog. What makes it worse is that he's only 18 months old and he's blind. And so of course, naturally I'm checking everything, you know, trying to figure out like, has anyone found him? Cause he was wearing his collar with his microchip tag and his, um, his license and everything. But I haven't found any of that. What I have found is a whole lot of, oh, there's excessive heat warnings, protect your pets and watch out for coyotes, protect your pets. So I've just yeah. been a little bit of a basket case over the last few days. So I'm glad to be here. Why I'm telling you that is because earlier today, like about an hour and a half ago, I was like, I really need to wake up. I need to like get myself together and actually work and not freak out about the lost dog. So I'm going to make myself some coffee. So I made myself a pot of coffee and I promptly forgot about it until I went out to get my cocktails. So, so in the spirit of not wasting anything, I'm drinking coffee and I'm drinking alcohol. So I'll be a lot. Fancy. Very fancy. That's the one foot on the gas, one foot on the brake uh, approach today. So anyway, that's my story. What are you guys? What's everyone else drinking? I'm a brown liquors drinker, so I'm drinking a Rob Roy, which is Ooh. basically a Manhattan made with scotch instead of nice. bourbon or rye. Love it. And I'm, I'm drinking it with a special uh, New York State made vermouth uh, from a local winery there in the Finger Lakes. Oh, Ooh, John, fancy boy. Nice. Well, I normally yeah. go with the liquor as well. I'm normally a uh, a uh, straight Jameson on the rocks drinker. I like scotch the best, but I don't let myself get into the scotch a lot because I drink too much whiskey. And so I keep it with the mid-range Irish stuff that don't give me hangovers. But because Emily is in her 34th week of pregnancy, I'm not letting myself drink liquor. So I am doing Parkway Get Bit IPA, my favorite beer in the world. It's out of Roanoke, which is just, you know, 40 minutes from here. It is my favorite beer. And is that because she's drinking all the liquor? Is that why you're not drinking any? Yes, that child's going to have issues. <laughs> Lauren, what about you? I'm, I'm drinking a margarita hard seltzer. Nice. I went, I went basic today. Usually I do a Paloma for the PBM on the Rocks podcast, but I, I felt inclined to grab a margarita seltzer today. I feel you, lady. Sometimes you just want to keep it simple. That's right. I like that tequila theme, though. Margarita, Paloma. I've been obsessed with Palomas this summer. I, I don't even know how it happened, but I've—I mean, I've always liked them. But this year, I've just been like, you know, given the chance, I'm like, just give me a Paloma, please. Grapefruit juice and tequila. Well, how could you possibly go wrong? Well, I set up a bourbon bar for my husband's 40th birthday over the weekend, and so. We had about six different types of bourbon, and then everyone brought a bottle as well. And so we made old fashions until about 2 a.m. 
So I decided to go clear liquor instead of brown today. Nice. What about you, Shannon? Are you testing tripping since you're sick? Just taking uh, tests into the no, face? No, I am not tussin tripping. <laughs> uh, and my voice has unfortunately decided <clears throat> to leave the building. So I will be the I will be the strong, silent individual on the podcast today, drinking a wonderful concoction known as emergency. Oh man, <laughs> I can feel the strength radiate from your screen. <laughs> I'm empowered. I, I am so glad to help Jeremy, especially with the baby on the way. Anything I can do. Yeah. Well, anyone who's ever had a baby on the way knows that it's important to drink as much alcohol before the blessed event, uh, because afterward you'll be so uh, tired and wondering if every single thing you're doing is the right thing or if missing the diaper change by five minutes has in fact ruined your child for life. Or maybe I'm the only one that thought that, but I know for sure I was having those kinds of thoughts all the time. Oh, I'm, it's all worked out to where when my baby comes, my other pharmacist is going to be on vacation. So I'm going to be like begging my dad and my cousin and everyone else to come and just give me a few days until she gets back so I can have a week off. But I mean, it's rough having a small business and then like having a kid because I, I got to be there. <laughs> yeah, so, it's yeah. Like it's on you, kids. Emily. You got you to pull this shit off. So what's going on? Since we get together to, um, to trash PBMs, and might I add, rightfully so. Yeah. What all has been going on in PBM world that you guys have heard about? I did I see to- that Dr. Glockenflecken did put that his childhood babysitter was unable to get approval of medication for someone in her family. And so he helped spread that news. So hopefully there's some uh, social justice on social media that helps her get that medical bill down and approved. What's the weed that people march, John? You you are the, you're the star here. Uh, So for people who are listening to the podcast, this is our happy hour where we get together and we all have something wonderful to drink. And then we have an esteemed guest. In this case, it's John Farina from the AIDS Healthcare Foundation. And we are always thrilled, John, to spend time with you because you do such creative things. In fact, your organization is going to be the star of our upcoming political summit that we have at the end of July. But for those of us who aren't familiar, tell us about the march that you're doing and what it is and, and really everything we should know about this so we can cheer you. And then, of course, be mad at the people that forced it to have to happen in the first place. As an organization, we, we, we tend to deal with things not only in obviously the, the pharmacy realm and the drug realm and 340B and PBMs and all that kind of crazy stuff. But we also deal with a lot of civil rights issues uh, based on our clientele being African-Americans, people of color, Latino, women, uh, LGBT people, trans people, so on and so forth. So, um, and as we all know, um, all different populations are under attack all over the country, especially trans folks, especially LGBTQ folks, especially um, uh, women uh, and so on. And so immigrants, you know, it goes on and on and on. Somebody is othering everybody else just for their own benefit. So we decided to, for lack of a better term, rise up and have a march. And we chose Florida Uh, (laughs) in in any event. So we're going to be in Fort Lauderdale on July 2nd. And we've got uh, dozens of groups partnering with us, everything from ACLUs to Planned Parenthoods to uh, organizations that serve all different kinds of uh, marginalized communities in Florida. 
Uh, we should have, you know, several thousand people marching with us. We have people like David Hogg and, and um, uh, I don't remember all the speakers right off the top of my head, but there's a lot of great speakers from different segments of the community. And, um, you know, we're, and we're also doing several of them around the country. So there's ones happening in New York, in Chicago, in Columbia, South Carolina, in uh, some in LA. So there's kind of a movement that we're trying to push and, and get people motivated to speak up um, about these issues. Because if we don't, you know, we all know the kind of, um, you know, the, the um, first they came for so-and-so and we didn't do anything about it. And then they came for so-and-so and they didn't, you know, and so we're trying to push that idea that we better all speak up for each other. Otherwise, um, no one will be left if we let these guys, these folks have their way. So awesome, John. I'm so proud of the work that you guys do and how I you knew I knew you from somewhere. Creative, <laughs> so bold. It really, it's just, it's really, it's inspiring. I am wondering if you have a March happening in Phoenix and I'm going to guess probably not because our prize celebrations here actually don't happen in June. They happen a little earlier because it tends to be so incredibly hot here in June. But are, by chance, are you doing anything or planning anything in our area? No, because we don't have operations there. So uh, we're, we're kind of focused where we have people. Sure, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. But so no events here in Blacksburg, Virginia. <laughs> We're in the DMV, but I don't know about Blacksburg, so I don't know. Where <laughs> <laughs> but coming soon, coming soon to, to Blacksburg, Virginia, or really anywhere. So people wanted to get involved in this. They would go to one of the cities that you just mentioned and they would or they would just get online. Right. And look up information about this. There's a we the people march dot org or WTMarch.org. I should double check that while we're talking, but it's uh, you can go there, check it out. Um, we're on Twitter at WTP March, um, and you can find information and uh, look up what's going on. And if there's something happening in your community, we'd love to have you join us. And if you're in Fort Lauderdale, we'd love to have you join us there on Sunday morning, uh, the second. Yeah, so that's Sunday. Yep. So great. And great. Awesome. Are you all expecting any pushback? Which is ridiculous that you would get pushback considering what you do makes the world better. Uh, you know, it's Florida, so who knows? Uh, you know, we're ready for anything. We're we're ready for anything to see. You know, we we we're we're gonna be prepared in case there's crazies or protests or whatever. You know, we're gonna protect our our people and our folks and and our uh, freedom to say what we need to say. So we'll we're you know we'll see what happens. Hopefully, it'll just go off without a hitch, and like many prides so far have, and and we'll we'll get our message out. Excellent. Florida is just brilliant, though, for having that kind of march. Uh, I remember when we were talking on the podcast, you mentioned that you guys had done some protests at Disney World around the time that the Don't Say Gay bill was being introduced, right? You had a hand in uh, prompting Disney to speak up and say something. Yeah, so we, we took notice of the fact that Disney was rather silent around the Don't Say Gay bill that was coming up in Florida. And we were like that that shouldn't be considering how much money disney takes from queer folks and um how many queer folks work for disney and it's a company that's always espoused itself as being progressive and and so we we said you know you guys should be talking about it and their chairman at the time was not willing to do so so we organized a campaign we are we had uh, two large protests several hundred people in burbank california and in orlando florida at the same time and uh, we got a lot of attention and it helped 
move the needle so that uh, Disney started to take, you know, uh, started to give some of the money back to politicians that they were supporting who were behind this, these horrible bills. And it helped get their employees uh, the voice they needed to step up and tell their their folks that, you know, hey, you, you can't do this and you've got to speak out. And, you know, I mean, we can't take credit for it, but certainly that chairman, what can I remember his name? Uh, it's not Bob Iger, it's the guy before him. He got booted as a result of the whole fiasco that was Disney's mess with Don't Say Gay. So that was that was a big part. I mean, they were losing money and all sorts of other things, but that was kind of like the, the final push. Yeah, they really, I was curious what your thoughts were about that, because I remember when that happened and now it, it's kind of escalated way beyond what anybody thought, right? It started off as, you know, a legitimate protest and Disney, I, I don't know what that particular guy, I can't remember his name either, weirdly enough. <laughs> I can remember Bob Iger, Iger, not the guy before. I don't really know what he was thinking in how he approached that phone call, but it sounds like it didn't go well. And now what's happened is here's Ron DeSantis and this campaign and, and you hear the pushback like, oh, he was very focused on, you know, shutting down businesses, trying to express themselves. So in a way, it's like, although you didn't intend that, there's been an interesting consequence that's come as a result of that. There's so much attention around, literally around the world on right. that. So, And it goes with our, you know, when we talked on the last call, on the last podcast, I, and I mentioned that, you know, we're large enough and comfortable enough and strong enough in our and who we are that we can speak out where others can't. Uh, you know, we're a, a, a large global organization. We have 1.7 million people in our care around the world in 45 countries and in 15 states and Puerto Rico and D.C. So we're, you know, we have a huge presence and we we can step up. Um, and so if don't say gay, we were able to do that. And we were able to challenge Disney the way some smaller organizations who maybe get funding from Disney or maybe, you know, like they, they couldn't do that or they just didn't have the resources to do it. And it's the same thing we do around the uh, pharmaceutical industry and with pharmacies and where we, you know, we speak out against PBMs and, and their abuses and the horrible things that they do to our nonprofit pharmacies and our neighborhood pharmacies and our community pharmacies. Um, we speak out against pharma's uh, drug price, uh, price gouging that they're doing. Um, we, you know, we, we have certain targets. Gilead is one of our favorite targets because they're one of the largest producers of HIV medications, but a lot of those drugs were invented and created by taxpayer dollars in, in science uh, labs at NIH and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and, you know, they want credit for it and they want the patents and they want to make the billions. Um, you know, I think Daniel O'Day is the uh, CEO of Gilead. He makes $86,000 a day, which is, I think, $26,000, $27,000 more than the average American earns in a year. He wow. makes more than that in a day. I'm certain that when you look at the CEOs of any of these organizations that have PBMs attached to them, those CEOs are paid handily, six, seven figures, eight figures uh, or more. They probably have all kinds of stock options. We're making billionaires out of these people on the backs of you and I and our patients and our clients and people who need what these drug companies have. And we're Absolutely. the only country where we do that. We, That's uh, also an economy-wide problem on top of it, but it is particularly bad in healthcare because healthcare should not be about that. We shouldn't incentivize uh, high prices, paying out of pocket, not being able to afford your medication. We shouldn't incentivize denial of care, making uh, barriers to care. 
And that's what we do with, you know, PBMs, insurance companies, drug makers, they can come out and they'll have a high list price. And that's an issue. What we have to do is we really need to negotiate directly with them. And all the middlemen that we have there are making this far worse because they're driving the prices up. And drug makers, they do contribute to the system, but there's profiteering there. And their entire, oh, we are throwing a ton of money into R&D, it just doesn't add up. They're spending more money on advertising, which is ridiculous. You shouldn't advertise drugs. But that also speaks to... They spend more money on advertising and on lobbying than they do far more on than they do on R&D, which, again, a lot of the research lately is coming from the government. And so, you know, uh, Moderna and the and the COVID vaccine is a perfect example of how that was developed, you know, in partnership, but with the U.S. government and billions of dollars that came from the U.S. government that made that company a big deal now and made multiple billionaires out of the people who run it. I mean that they will go along and they will just buy up a smaller company that does all the work and actually makes the drug. And that's what they become. They've become acquisition firms. Mm -hmm. And that is a problem. And that also speaks to a lot of issues in healthcare is the constant need to have growth, to show, hey, we're cutting here, we are growing here, we're doing all this. Whenever you get to a point, and this is capitalism in general, where you top out, it's everyone that's going to suffer. You know, you got to show growth to your shareholders every year. If you can't actually grow the pie, you're going to start cutting elsewhere and it's going to be the patients that suffer. You know, they can't drain us any more than they have. We're going to lose 10 to 20% of our independence next year just because the DIR fee miss. Like, they can't drain us much more. Yeah. So they'll drain patients. And recently, uh, PBMs were on the, um, uh, what was it? Uh, it was uh, J.C. Scott, wasn't, where he was just like, we're not going to lose money. Like, we'll we'll take the money from elsewhere. We're not going to, you know, lose money on this. And then it was United Health and CVS Caremark talking to their uh, shareholders during the meetings, saying, we have different ways where we can make this up. Things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. Absolutely. Oh, well, Walgreens came out this week and said their stock prices are even to what they were in the 2008 recession. Yeah. They're, they're talking about how they have an aggressive uh, pricing strategy now and aggressive ways of getting back that money for their shareholders. And the only they're way they can do that is stores. By, yeah, but they're- Even they're Walgreens be, can't take this reimbursement. Like, and they get better reimbursement yeah. than us. And they're already talking about cutting tech hours elsewhere. So there's going to be technicians and pharmacists that are out of jobs. And there's not a large variety of those people opening independent pharmacies. So they're either going to have to go work for a chain. They're going to have to go work for PBMs. I mean, we were talking in Illinois and there's some pharmacies down in Southern Illinois and there's uh, a chain grocery store that's offering like $70 an hour for pharmacy wages because they can't find a pharmacist to live down in Southern Illinois to do that. And then the other side of that company in Missouri has cut all of their pharmacists that have more than 20 years experience so they can hire new grads that are, you know, bottom of the barrel kind of pricing. So this is how they're making money back for their shareholders. And, you know, here's the thing I don't think people realize about these drugstores, for example. So you mentioned Walgreens, right? So here in our neighborhood, my neighborhood in, in the city of Cleveland here is largely African-American, mostly poor neighborhood. 
And you know, there's a, there was a Walgreens that opened up on the in, in the neighborhood near a building, two high rises that had lots of seniors and other folks that lived there. And you know, they came in. They 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 had groceries. They had um, you know all sorts of other you know nonsense that they sell. Everything from tanning lotion to you know pantyhose to to groceries to cough medicine and all the stuff that they sell at a, at a Walgreens. Beer, you know, food. They had eggs and bread. So these folks that lived in this high rise could come down and go there and get their stuff, and, and they didn't have to cross the street. And Walgreens, you know, put everybody else out of business in the course of opening these store, the store. And so there's no more neighborhood store. There's no more mom and pop pharmacy. There's no more mom and pop grocery store. Well, now they closed that store. Yep. And they 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 took a, a small space across the street and made it this drive-through pharmacy where you, you know, they have you know, they have the basic needs that you would have at a drugstore, but they don't have any all, all the other stuff. So, you know, that hurt the people in the community. You know, not only did they lose their pharmacy, now that they have to cross the street, like this is a busy road, they got to go across and all that. They also, they lost their source for bread and eggs and milk and orange juice and soda and beer and whatnot. You know, the, the woman in that commercial is like, I will give up bread, egg, soda, and beer to keep my life alert. You know, that woman can't get those things anymore anyway, because they're not next door. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think she was prepared for that, I guess. Yeah, that's too bad. That's too bad. I, I'm remembering a couple of years ago, a really great story on pharmacy deserts that was done by Al Jazeera. And the pharmacy deserts were located in communities that were, you know, there were Black communities, they were poorer communities, people had to take, you know, several buses to get to the pharmacy. They just didn't have options. That's why we can't let PCMA take this narrative because right now what they're trying to do is they're trying to turn the narrative from pharmacy deserts into just like, oh, we need to take care of our rural pharmacies better, even though they're not. They're trying to frame it as if just the rural pharmacies are shutting down or what creating pharmacy deserts were. There are pharmacy deserts in cities, highly populated oh, yeah. areas. If you and drive, they're trying if you to change that entire narrative right now. You drive around the east side of the city of Cleveland, even the you know, you'll find huge box stores that were Rite Aids and CVSs and Walgreens and whatever other companies. That opened them up. They they bought all the, the the prescriptions from all the small independent pharmacies. Got them shut down. They opened them up. They took it over. And then, well, okay, we don't need that anymore. So they closed it. But yep. they already controlled the, the prescriptions. Well, we're going to shift you to mail order, or we're going to make you go mm. down to this pharmacy that's that's yep. this far away. And and so you know, there's within within walking distance of my house, there's several of these big giant boxes that are either empty or have, you know, in one case, it's been a good thing. They became a health center for, for, for seniors in the neighborhood. Uh, the other one's a plasma center, you know, and those kind of things. So, or they're empty. They just sit empty. Mm -hmm. yep. Same yes, happening to docs right now. Like we are right now witnessing the slow train wreck, the end game of vertical integration. We're watching it right now. And everything that we said, like all our worst nightmares where everyone's just like, it's not going to be that bad. They can't be doing that. It's all fucking happening right now. No one's fucking listening to us. And now they're just like, oh, well, we'll put this off for a few years. Let's do another study. Shut the fuck up. Like, this is an actual emergency. You have to give relief right now. We got to take care of people. Otherwise, it's going to get way worse in the next few years. They don't get that. 
Well, I, I think it's because we have been able to step up and, you know, over the last few years, five years, I'd say, we've been talking about DIR fees are awful. Pharmacies are shutting down. We've all yeah. known pharmacies that have shut down and they still see us continue to stay open because we have gone out and found either other revenue streams or we have um, tried to figure out a way to stop some of the bleeding from DIRs, and things like that. And so I think that they see us do that and they think, oh, they're okay. They've they've said this is bad for a while and it's not bad enough they're closing. And so it's going to take those 10 to 20% of pharmacies closing for legislators to understand. I mean, the legislators up in Chicago really understood the pharmacy desert study that University of Illinois Chicago did a few years ago because they were able to see that their neighborhoods may be in a very populated city, but they can't ask their constituents to take three buses to get to a Walgreens that will fill their prescription. It won't happen. Mrs. Jones isn't going to do that for her insulin. She's not going to be able to do that for her heart medicine. So that's kind of what the legislators have started cluing into that, like you said, Jeremy, it's not just in rural parts of the state in Illinois. It's called downstate and things south of I-80. <laughs> uh, so, you know, anything around an hour of Chicago is northern and then anything else is downstate. And they just think downstate is just all farmland and, you know, little cities. But even in Chicago, legislators were saying, you know, we cannot have our people go and try to find an open Walgreens open that is not the 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. that a lot of them are shifting to Monday through Friday because that's normal people work hours. That's not really what their constituents can do. And they're getting a lot louder right now. Lucky for us educating them, educating legislators to understand that this is not a uh, coincidence that these people are all having this issue right now. And, yeah. and it's, they acted like we were crazy their, for years. It's part of their effort to push everybody to things like mail order, which is cheaper for them, but it's not always best for for the patient, right? So uh, also costs you know, everyone else a fortune. Right. Med D is getting killed on mail order because they stack those fees on top of it. Sure, sure. And then, you know, when you think about things like, uh, you know, I, I, again, I've talked about like a person living with HIV, right? So you, it's hard enough to keep them on their regimen of medicines. Right? You're not, you can't miss a pill. You're not supposed to miss a dose. You know, miss one or two in, the, in, a, in a year, but, you know, you can't miss a lot of it. Um, and that's how you keep your viral load suppressed. So if you're a person who lives in a situation where you have roommates, and now you have to get your drugs delivered by mail order, but you haven't told your roommates that you're HIV positive because who knows how they're going to react. There's still stigma mm -hmm. attached to it. So you just get your, now you, you were just going to the pharmacy and getting your drug, but that pharmacy's not there anymore and you're getting it in the mail. Well, you're, uh, your roommates are, what's that? What are you getting that for? Or they open it, you, you know? And so mail order is not the answer for everybody, but mm -hmm. they seem to think it is, a lot of these, these companies. And um, it's just become a, a nasty problem. Oh, yeah. oh, they'll force it different ways too. Like, hey, you can have someone coming in and uh, they're getting Junvoya every month, but I'm not trying to spend four thousand dollars to lose fifty dollars on a prescription every single month. So they've they've got pressures that they put on. Like whenever they want a prescription within their little silos, they will make sure they get it. And if mm -hmm. they can't get it that way, they will go up behind your back and call the doctor's office from their mail order pharmacy and get refills that way. This greater societal blight uh, that you guys were talking about just a few minutes ago is really on my mind because I have a, a similar thing in my neighborhood. I'm 
surrounded by Walgreens and CVS, and yet some of those are closing, some of them are closed, and they haven't been replaced with uh, a health center. What The one that I'm thinking of, which is just uh, maybe a mile down the street from me, is about to become, I think, a shoe store. I'm not totally sure what they're going to do with all that, that space, but when you think about like the business model, when I lived in Albuquerque, there was a, a small movement, not a not a big one, but a small movement to stop the growth of Walgreens because you could find a Walgreens within like a one and a half mile radius of any other Walgreens. And they were popping up everywhere back in those days. At some point, that model doesn't work. At some point, you start cannibalizing the other stores and somebody has to close. And if you've got these big box stores popped up everywhere, not everyone can do something with that. So it ends up creating wide open spaces that aren't being used. And now, especially with people, more people working from home, more people shopping from home and all of that, I'm starting to make this connection between how really bad it is to force people into mail order and what happens to your community, like the literal structures of your neighborhood. I think that's a, that's a good point. It's the saturation model that it's years for Walgreens. They're, they're responsible for the fast foodification of pharmacy. I'm not going to weep too much for them, but their decline is also symptomatic of the actual problems that are going on right now. We have issues. Lauren and me, we were born into this. I don't encourage anyone to open a pharmacy right now. Like, we've got a little more cushion just because we've been fucking established for a while, or our families have, but it's rough. We've got people now who are trying to just sell just to beat the rush that we think is going to happen next year. So you're going to have pharmacies going out that may not have went out just because of the perceived rush that's going to happen next year when a lot of pharmacies fold because they think they're going to get less. And it's it's the saturation model that these the pharmacies use, which because they could afford as big corporations to do that, open up three, four stores within. So, you know, like it's this, like how Starbucks got into New York City. They came in, they opened up literally literally Starbucks on all four corners, one on each corner. Uh, and they drove out the independent coffee shops, you know, now fortunately independent, you know, maybe this is a, 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 a good omen for the, for the pharmacy business that, you know, the independent coffee shops have resurged and, and pushed a lot of that out, you know, they, and they would open the four stores and then close three of them because they already got their market there. Um, it's, that's, that's, yeah. they can afford to do that. And that hurts, the rest of us in our neighborhood. Well, the problem is, is like those independent coffee shops that resurge, Starbucks isn't setting their prices like they are for us. Right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are obviously very big differences. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what they're doing. I mean, it is full on in game and it's fucked. And every day I worry about it. I worry about everyone. And I don't know what we're going to do because we're finally getting attention to this. And right now it's, it's going to happen. Like PBM reform is going to happen, but we are at the point where we're just trying to see who survives. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it, you know, when I, when I look at like, say the issues that we deal with, like in comparison, 340B versus PBMs, it seems like PBM is this, PBMs are a sexier thing for legislators to pick up on because it's, oh, we'll go, you know, we're, we're going to try to recover money. We're helping our local businesses, so on and so forth. Um, you know, here in Ohio, our attorney general, who's really shitty on a lot of things, but 
he's gone after PBMs and yeah. he's recovered lots, you know, millions and millions of dollars. Those are, you know, that's good news. And he continues, he's got a, he's got a real bug up his ass for PBMs and that's great. You know, how it'll impact the overall situation is, is yet to be determined, but it does seem like at least there's, you know, little bits of little stars of light that, that could hopefully turn into bigger things as we go forward if we keep up what we're doing and keep up the fight and keep up the advocacy and keep reminding people how important their community pharmacies are, their nonprofit pharmacies are, um, that maybe uh, we can push this a little a little more aggressively just because there's some level of interest in it. Um, some of those bills in Congress are crappy, but you know they're yeah. at least talking about it. The word you know, PBMs is, is on people's you know, minds in Washington, which it wasn't even a year ago. No, I mean, if you would have told me this was going on two years ago, I would have called you a fucking liar. Like we've worked really, really hard. And I mean, no one listened to us. It felt like we were screaming into the void for so long. And now everyone's listening all of a sudden when it felt like we were crazy people. Like we were just like, they treated us like that. They didn't believe us for years. And now all the things we said that were gonna happen are happening. And yeah, there's some vindication in it, but fuck. We didn't want to be right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's the problem that we're we're out here and still making the case to legislators and trying to get them to understand. And you know, John, to your point, I I appreciate what your attorney general in Ohio has done, and I think that in my state, which is blue, Illinois, um, they saw what your AG did, and they thought, you know, he doesn't think the same way as a lot of our um, political minds in Illinois. So they're, they looked at it more as like a competition, like Ohio can do this. We're going to do this. They mm -hmm. can get money back from these assholes. We're going to get money back from these assholes. And we're going to try to help save some of our state finances that we're just writing a blank check to the managed care companies and the PBMs and oh, doing all that. So I mean, as uh, Ohio was definitely the first domino to fall in a lot of this. And I think that helped other states kind of see, well, shit, if Ohio can do this, why can't a big state like Illinois or, you know, New York or California, things like that, that it's a little like a more big, of the competitive nature. If a red yeah. state will go after corporations, well, damn it, the blue states sure as hell better go <laughs> after the corporations because that's the whole mindset of the blue <laughs> folks is we- Look at what fucking West you have West Virginia down there carving them out of uh, Medicaid and they saved a fortune while the pharmacies were getting paid better. Everyone was happy. But all the legislators are like, that's West Virginia. That's a teeny little sample size. Let's see. Yeah, if that means you're going to save more money. <laughs> you we're stupid shits. <laughs> Fuck. That's why Jeremy's not our lobbyist. He's just our pharmacist. Yeah. Oh, I'd Lord, be a terrible lobbyist. Lord Dr. Jeremy. I Lord Dr. Jeremy. I did Lord not. Lord. Buy that $30 lordship online when I was drunk to not be called Lord. <laughs> he's, he's what's called new royalty. So, you know, we have to. <laughs> yeah, whatever the stigma will fade uh, in know, old generations. Well, I, I have, I have a, 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 a ordination from the Universal Life Church, so you can call me Father John. So there oh. we go. <laughs> Father John. That's, and, and Lord Dr. Jeremy. That's awesome. I, I feel I feel like um, 
it's nice to be in such a steamed company. I look up to both of you. <laughs> you're, so, just looking uh, up, you're, you're just looking up to us because our squares are above yours, at least. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> squares down at the bottom. I'm like, oh. Hello, peasants. <laughs> so oh, glory. So, did anybody get a chance to read that article that was published in Stat about the kickback money going to the brokers for PBMs? Because uh, they keep uh, making this point. Oh, the employers, if we were so bad, the employers wouldn't quit using us. That's because the people you're hiring to actually like advise you on this are getting kickbacks from these companies. Oh my God. Yeah. If we were saying yeah. like that. They're getting like these fees from these plans that they're selling for years. And I was like, it's not that big of a deal. That's how they operate. And now it's this huge conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. Jesus, fuck! I, just listen to us. I mean, that whole, that whole like one to five dollar per prescription dispensed mm -hmm. every single time on the plan. Can you imagine yes. how much money you'd make if you were the broker that connected? Like, we can't even get a dispensing fee. Yeah, and we're the, doing the it. Plus, plus zero dollar dispensing fee that we see on contracts is just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> just well, that's because your dispensing fee is being paid to the broker who was able to somehow make it clear that the most suitable plan for Intel or whomever was the PBM that paid them the most money or gave them the biggest percentage back. And I we'd known that at PUT for years. That's actually factored into our price diagrams, the ones that we produce. It's been there since 2018. <laughs> Seeing it confirmed in this investigation that STAT did over the course of a year was at one yeah. i mean it was only like this much validating just a little bit validating and it was far more just disheartening and upsetting because it makes you think okay well what is the point of any of this i mean seriously there's no point the of any of this there's just it's a gravy train on every level except the patient and provider level that's it they've created this entire industry where they're just trading money back and forth and they're making a fortune on it because they're just sucking it out of all of us. It's like I've always said, they've got a money printer and it runs on patient blood. That's yeah. it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I was pretty upset when I saw that. And then I, you know, it just so happens that at the same time, the Janssen new transparency report came out and, you know, we had, pro we had showcased this last year at PUD and how Janssen, just, just Janssen, just one company had paid 34 billion in rebates yeah. to various entities. The, the majority of it, by the way, went to commercial health plans. The majority of it did not go to other sources that, that those rebates really you know, were intended to help like 340B clinics and whatnot. This year, the report showed that they paid out 39 billion in rebates. Mm -hmm. And again, the vast majority went to commercial plans. Well, to the PBMs, not really to, I mean, who are the commercial plans, right? It's the, the big six health plans. Did you see where United Health was bragging that they used a billion dollars in rebates to go back to patient care? One, one billion dollars in rebates out of the billions they get, they had to put it back into patient care because of medical loss ratio. That's ridiculous. That means they're just pocketing all this money. Oh, the ACA fucked healthcare so bad. MedD fucked healthcare, but the ACA really fucked healthcare. Healthcare was fucked anyway, but Jesus. I think it points to the problem, though, that the. the they the didn't tackle the real problem. 
Well, you give it, so you take a, you take a good idea, which is healthcare for people who otherwise don't have access to it and more people with pre-existing conditions. So you have this nice idea. Yeah, like that was the only good thing that happened. Covered, but then you give it to the insurance companies to write. Why yes. do you do that? Oh, because they're the experts in this. So of course they mm -hmm. write it in this way where it's like, hoo, 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 you know, we, we can set this up because, you know, what are you going to spend? I'm not the originator of this phrase. It was actually came from Scott Pace at our very first political summit, but he talked about, you know, what are you going to spend? Are, you know, are you going to spend dollars? You're going to spend percentages. What are you more interested in? Well, obviously you're more interested in percentages because that means more money coming your way. So you can game the system in a way no one ever thought about, which is gaming yep. it on the basis of percentages. So this whole like 85% goes to care and 15% goes to us. Yep. That is just another, you know, flim flam scheme. Especially when you control all the data and all the metrics and all the money flow, you can label anything, whatever you want, because you can trade, you could call trade secrets. That's why it was just <laughs> such a big deal. But the good news is, is it hastened the destruction of our entire healthcare system. So maybe we'll get something good out of it now. I mean, it does feel like we're on, on track to, to imploding, which again, you know, not to fangirl over John, but it's so easy to do that with AIDS Healthcare Foundation and everything you guys do. I think that's what makes what you guys do so interesting because you're just fearless. Like you will go out there, you will speak up, you will not be silenced. And I think there's something to be said about that. It'd be like, I think about, you know, pharmacists who are basically like some of the nicest people you'll ever come across, you know, very docile, right, Lord Dr. Jeremy? <laughs> yeah, that's how Jeremy is very docile. docile. He, he's, he's so docile. I don't want, I would not want to run into Jeremy in a dark alley. <laughs> oh, no one does. Oh my God. You know, Five minutes in the shack, wanna, anything goes. You would not want to run into the New York pharmacists in a dark alley. Lauren and I both attended their protests at the state capitol in New York, and they were not having it, man. They loaded up the staircases and they were in their white jackets and, we, and their signs. That was awesome. And, you know, and we were there for that when it first happened in 2020, and, and we were there for a lot of that. But, you know, they still turned on us when it came to the carve-out because they they did not want to they, – they felt there was some miscommunication there. And there's some, like, so the pharmacists were not our allies in part of that when it came to the 340B argument and the argument of, of our pharmacies being a part of that Article 28 craziness and, you know, the disaster that Cuomo created that his, his successor continued mm -hmm. to – you know, keep going. And, and, um, so yeah, so it's disappointing. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. But yeah, you know, we, we, we have lots of common ground, obviously. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, there's always going to be, this stuff is complicated, you know, that's why we, whenever we try to talk about PBMs with our mobilization team and with our advocates and with other people, like PBMs is a complicated issue to talk about. And it's not as easy as just, well, here it is, you know, um, yeah. that's like 340B. Uh, it's one of those things where it's just like, we don't want to throw the good actors out and ruin it for them. It's just right. it's been bastardized by a lot of the PBMs, by a lot of the hospital systems, and it's causing issues. And it's one of those things where it's just like, we need to fix that. And when it comes down to it, you know, the, the, the problems that exist within 340B are minimal. They're very small. They are not they're not the rule by any means. And so, yes, you have a few players who are bad actors, but... The great majority. I mean, it's such a heavily regulated program. It's so you know, it's, it's oh, the hard. audits are insane. It's hard to fuck around at three forty B. You know, it so really it's, is. It's hard to it's hard to play games with that. Um, so anybody who is, 
is really pushing their luck. And it's just, like I said, it's a very, very slim minority of people that pharma has turned into talking points to use against the rest of us. And they get even our own allies to use things like, you know, use terms like hospitals are bad and look at what they're doing. And like, so, you know, pharma's, you know, masterful at manipulating messaging and manipulating, you know, consumers. You know, I sat with my cousin one day uh, at, at lunch and we were talking and, you know, he asked me about the work that I do and I was telling him about pharmaceutical companies and how they spend so much money on lobbying and advertising, but they do so much research and development. And I explained to him <laughs> all this stuff about research and development. And he said, I just think it's a bad idea for you guys to go after drug companies. They do such good work. And it's like, oh my God, you're fucking brainwashed because that's what they do. They have billions of dollars to brainwash the world you see those pretty commercials from pharma and a little kid is cured of something and mom is hugging him and dad is happy and flowers and sunshine and a little puppy and yay, pharma, thank God for them. <laughs> and really it's not them, you know, uh, but they- That's the thing is, I don't think anyone's brainwashed with it anymore because the messaging has been out there so much with pharma, especially with legislators. They've been so hyper-focused on pharma. We've had a hard time like- drawing them off just a little bit to look at like any other underlying issues. That's been a huge issue for us. We've only got some trash in here lately. Yeah. And you know, they have more lobbyists. They have what I, I believe the number that I was quoted was there are two lobbyists per member of Congress that are paid for by pharma in, in Washington. So, you know, 535 members of Congress and there's, you know, almost 1200 lobbyists just lobbying them on whatever pharma wants. Yeah. Uh, curious to know crazy. what the overall number of healthcare lobbyists are in DC because I'm sure they outnumber any other interest, probably ten to one. There's if so you many take healthcare as a big as a big umbrella and lump all the different things that fit within healthcare, probably so. And I would be amazed. I would be really curious to see how many of them are former members of Congress and former senators who wield incredible power because they have those relationships. Uh, that right there, if anybody could ever fix anything that would solve a lot of problems, not just for our world, but for so many other industries and, and causes, is members of Congress should not be allowed to lobby their own colleagues. Mm -hmm. No, for 10 and people years. from CMS shouldn't be allowed to go and work for the people they were regulating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a word for that. And, you know, our FTC commissioners it. shouldn't resign and immediately go work for the companies they were uh, trying to regulate. Yeah, all of that really points to the bigger problem, which is there's so much money to be made in healthcare. Something as simple as like what we did in Arizona a couple of years ago, we, we were trying to get a basic anti anti patient steering law passed. And it was hard enough, just trying to clarify the term patient steering. It wasn't enough to bring letters and say, this is an example of what, you know, a major health insurer and or their PBM sent to our customers, this letter, which is misleading and lies to them. That wasn't enough, right? We had to keep breaking it down, keep breaking it down. And then we finally break it down. And then what happens is on the day of the hearing, when we're, you know, ready to get our first shot at this bill, 
the doors, you know, to the hearing room, like fly open. And then in slow-mo come these like 20 suits with their briefcases and like slow wind blowing through their hair. And, you know, and, 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 and that was that, right. It was like the intimidation factor was so high. And this was just a simple bill in Arizona, right. Imagine doing that times 50 States. That's the kind of thing that is so unbelievable to me. There's just, you know, that when you start to get close to the profit center, you know, where, where the real like mother load of revenue is, that's where they're going to bring in the lobbyists, the lawyers, anything they can. I mean, it's like nothing is sacred to protect those revenue streams. And I just don't want, I always wonder why people in power can't see that, why they can't step up. Part of the corpocracy. We we don't live in a democracy. Citizens do not have made sure that wasn't happening. No, it's all about money flow. Everything's monetized. Every little decision, everything comes down to just monetizing everything. And it's just degraded us. You know, Jack Welch kind of ruined the business world with his whole mindset that the the shareholder is the most important person in any, you know, pyramid of, 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 of business. Because if you make money for the shareholders, you make money for everybody else. And, you know, of course, GE doesn't fucking really exist anymore. So maybe if we look back at that and realize what a disaster that is, but nonetheless, that's the way companies think. That's the way pharmaceutical companies think. That's the way these vertical integrators think with I'm in the insurance company, I'm the PBM, I'm the pharmacy. It's all about how do we please our shareholders? Fuck the client. Who cares if, yeah, whatever. Who gives a shit about that poor person with HIV? Yeah, they'll die. So what? But we made millions of dollars. Yay. Exactly. Yeah, we created a lot of value for shareholders. And that was a beautiful moment in time. There is a reckoning coming, John. There is a reckoning coming. We're just <laughs> watching it unfold. It sucks while it's happening, but eventually we may get our pound of flesh. We may get it. So, John, what do you think is the, like, if you were going to pinpoint what the solution is, what, what's the solution here, do you think? I mean, it's too complicated to come up with a solution. Um, come on, it's happy hour. You can come up with a solution. <laughs> you know, you know I, I think need two more of those. Round all these people up, put them on an island and set fire to them. I mean, I guess that's a terrible, you know, that's, but that's, like, <laughs> I was going to say guillotines. Uh, yeah, guillotines take too much time. I get banned um, from Twitter but, again, John. Don't do this to me. <laughs> How but, much more time does a guillotine take? You know, get fired. Just take everything. But nonetheless, right. uh, no. In, in, the in between cutting, business. cleaning that has to happen. You have to sanitize the blade in between. I mean, if you want a few heads, I mean, you you don't have to sanitize the blade. You're killing them. <laughs> yeah. So let's move. All right, moving along. <laughs> I think I think the solutions are bigger than just one thing, and and obviously one of those things is you know we have a huge problem with our political structure in this country. It is built around money. Yes. It is built. I mean, and it got it got worse with things like Citizen United and these secret little covert groups. There were people who don't have to be identified. They can stand in the shadows and throw money at things and influence elections. That's why we have the people we have in, in office in a lot of places that we do. That's why both parties are compromised in many ways on on many issues, um, you know, where. Republicans will go here and Democrats will push a little bit, but they won't push all the way because, oh, I might piss off somebody else. So, you know, so political reform, I think, is one of the biggest solutions that solves 
a lot of problems. You take the money out of it and you take the power out of it. You, you change the structure. Yeah, maybe it feels socialist. Maybe it feels, but but I, I, I think our political system is broken and the way it works is not helping people. It's helping corporations. It's helping shareholders. It's helping the wealthy. How many billionaires are there since the pandemic? The pandemic should have driven everybody out of business, not made people richer. So mom and pop pharmacies are those kinds of parts of the fabric of our community that are being crushed by giant corporations and politicians and capitalism. You know, and saying for some people saying capitalism is bad is really, oh, my God, how could you say that? But oh no, fuck capitalism. It's unsustainable. It's kind of a disaster. Um, yeah. you know, uh, Don't get me wrong. People conflate capitalism with competition. It's just like, no, competition is good whenever it's but competition is the way it is creating. It is unbridled growth. And yeah. that's not Great. possible. It's At some point, you just start making up money. And that's what the banks have done. That's what everyone has done. Everyone is throwing around just made up money and made up value at this point. And it's fucking everyone over. And, and you know, competition is, you know, right here, fair market competition. You know, they love competition until it's something that, that they like. And then all of a sudden, yeah. then yeah. they don't want to do competition. They're like, oh, no, well, we could have a, mon- a monopoly here or there. You know, obviously, in one community, if you had two pharmacies and one of them had an unfair advantage over the other, that's not fair. That's not competition. That's just stepping on your, you know, mm-hmm. on the weaker link. And that's, that's not how, cap- that's not how it's supposed to work. Competition is no. all about fair. It should be a fair, it should be a fair game for everybody to play. And if you fuck up, you're going to lose. And if you do well, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to win. And, and, you know, yeah, it's a, that's so I think the biggest thing is, is, you know, if we can find ways to reform the whole system and that get the lobbyists and the money and all these kind of things and, and, and shift the focus to people again, instead of, you know, people before profit, it's such a cliche, right? But I put it on, I put it on dozens of tweets every week, people before profit, every time I send something like Gilead or Cigna or people before profit, but you know, it's, it's reality. We really do need to go back to the idea of paying attention to people instead of just profits. And that goes for grocery stores and restaurants, as well as pharmacies and, you know, uh, a drug, it goes for everybody because we've, we've ignored, we ignored people We're, we've moved away from the human experience into dollars, 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 dollars. And I got mine. So fuck you. We've moved not we've moved so of far everything. into it that it's affecting everything. That's why we're seeing issues around climate change. It's why we see issues with our food supply and, you know, big ag and big sugar and, you know, all of those, the big, the big industries that are out there with this vertical integration. And, and the thing is that, you know, we, we, as the consumers think we've got tons of choices and it's all a great big facade. You know, we don't, you don't have a choice of going to your pharmacy. I have this conversation with my friends all the time about, you know, you could take your business to an independent pharmacy. You don't have to put up with the nonsense at the grocery store pharmacy. I've got a friend that is always angry at the Safeway pharmacy. I'm like, you don't have to go there. My God, there's a pharmacy, like a really good independent pharmacy, just a few blocks from where you live. And then what they come back with all the time is no, because it'll cost more money. And it's like, we, well, it won't. It won't because you're on a plan which has dictated everything you get to do. 
So the whole- My drugs I, cost I, the same for my AHF pharmacy as they would from Walgreens as they might from Lord Jeremy's pharmacy. You know, it's like, it's, it's a $10 copay or $25 copay mm -hmm. that I have to pay no matter what. Or and I've got I'll give you better service. Oh, and I've got- And I'll talk to you. Card. I'll bring it out with bells and whistles. There you go. You know, my AHF pharmacist, though, called me the other day and said, hey, John, your prescription is up on this. Are you still using it? Do you still take it? Is this important? Should we call your doctor? Do you want to, you know, they had a conversation with me. The mail order person, who is probably a lovely human being, isn't going to call me to say, oh, they're not going to see on their little computer screen something that doesn't look right and call me and ask questions. Oh, well, did you think human that mail being. order is human? Mail order pharmacy. They're not a human to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, that mail order pharmacy is likely located in Maricopa County. Uh, there's at least a couple uh, that are here, one for sure in Tempe. And I just like to point out we're under an extreme heat warning. And in the summer in Phoenix, it's always 105. So when you're talking about an extreme heat warning, you're talking about temperatures of 110 and higher. And that's the ambient temperature but outside. But it's a dry you heat, right? Think about it in your, in your truck. Yeah, it's a dry heat. It's a baking heat. You My oven is a dry heat. Outdoor. It's similar it's, to a convection oven, just yeah, outdoors. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're, we're famous for the, the postal worker that, that cooked a steak in her mail truck while delivering, you know, yeah, mail. Yeah, but meds are safe to be mail delivered, Monique. I also They're think- very too, safe in there. When you, when you crush the independents, whether they're pharmacists or grocery stores or whatever, when you crush the independents, you lose the, the people who sponsor the, the softball team, the little yeah. league team. You lose the people who are giving money to the community food bank. You lose those, you know, you lose those relationships in all of these communities mm -hmm. if you crush those independents. Because I can tell you that if you know Walgreens is not going to replace, the, they may be a big corporate sponsor of one or two things, things, and that's great. Yeah. But they're not going to replace all of those independent dollars that are being spread around by small pharmacies that Lauren and Jeremy are involved in. Like so, those they're doing things in their community that that's just not going to happen from the big corporate entities. Let alone you know, the all the things we talk about. They're just a, they're they're friends. They're your neighbors. So yeah. you know what the weird thing is. You'll have a bunch of people who talk about just like, oh, buy local, eat local, especially like here in Blacksburg. And they're like people that, oh, want to be so involved in all this stuff. For some reason, like they will go and they will pay extra to go like get something in the farmer's market. If they have to pay five extra dollars on a copay for something that they're getting every month, bye bye. No, fuck your local pharmacy. They're going to CVS. Five goddamn dollars. What are you talking about? But I'm gonna spend thirty extra dollars on goddamn okra, fucking shit. I don't know what it is. Fuck. They're not small oh enough God, for you. Awesome. That is awesome. But you know what? To your point, Jeremy, uh, I am one of those people that that spends the extra money for like free range eggs and locally grown produce. And and as soon as you said that, I was like, and you know what? That's actually not a bad model if you think about what you just said about pharmacy. The only thing that's missing is the messaging. Uh, if you, you know, what, what is that extra $5 at the pharmacy yeah. going to get you and people, their relationship to, I'm going somewhere with this, by the way, y'all people's relationship to pharmacy is one of a commodity. Like it is no different than what you'd get at CVS and nothing could be further from the truth. Like John just said, you know, his pharmacist calls, they ask questions. They, my pharmacy does that.
they're all over it. If I can't get something done, they, you know, they take it over for me as far as getting a, a refill or whatever. So, but if you're trained to think like, well, it's just pills in a bottle, you know, yeah. CVS. Oh, one of my favorites was had someone come in full on. Oh, well, they're making me go over here. Otherwise I'm going to have to pay $15 more a month. Total. I bought their kids entire team jerseys for like a little league baseball team and they're complaining about $15. There's like some weird disconnect in healthcare to where we don't get like that little bit of benefit that like other small businesses get. And it's weird. Cause Americans are spoiled because by health. Been so corporate yeah. house for so long. We're spoiled. We're spoiled by the whole insurance model that you get from your employer, yeah. which, mm-hmm. you know, the people who do have jobs, then they don't they don't know what they pay for anything, you know, yeah. um, until they have a baby and find out there's you know eleven thousand dollars or thirteen or fifteen or eighteen thousand dollars that isn't covered by insurance that they have to cover, yep. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know we're it's it's a it's a fucked up system. So you know yeah. it's it's amazing that we're the United States. We're supposed to be the best at all this stuff, and we're really bad at health. Oh no, we're the worst. Just bad. We have innovation no, that, and we have all that kind of stuff, but we're still really bad at delivering healthcare to people. Well, I, I yeah. agree. I, I mean, think that they look at it as a benefit, but unfortunately, when it comes to situations of, you know, them being steered away from us, then we are looked at like a tax. Like we are putting on that additional money on something that we can't control. We're not the ones who said, you know, make sure your employer chooses the really shitty health plan that makes you go to the pharmacy that's 15 miles away instead of this one that you've gone to for 10 years and the one that's delivering to you after hours or meeting you whenever you forgot on Saturday that you take blood pressure medication every day, have forgotten that somehow. And so you suddenly need this medication. So there's a lot of things. And so I think maybe if we, maybe we need to say we have organic counseling in the pharmacy and we'll suddenly have the dispensing fee we deserve somewhere along the way the message is lost with people that 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 you lauren are no different than the farmer who pulled those ramps out of the ground and i'm paying nine dollars a pound for fucking ramps and you know that come out three weeks out of the year but I'll pay it because it's a local farmer and I'm doing good by them. And then here you are. It's the same thing. Like if I go see you and I spend an extra five or 10 or 12 or $15, it's because I'm supporting my local business. I'm supporting a family. I'm supporting an organization I'm supporting the community. We somehow, I mean, that's, that's a messaging issue that hopefully can be sorted out and figured People out. People think we're rich. That, you that's are. Really what it comes put- down to it. I'm, I'm looking around there, mine. Jeremy. I'm looking behind you. It looks really wealthy back there. There's a lot yeah, of expensive. yeah. Welcome to my basement. Ah, yeah, that's a DIR free zone. We do not allow DIR fees allowed in that basement. That's no, why. there are no DIR fees down here. There is a great name and a cat though. <laughs> oh no, I I mean I think that we I mean we all see those you know signs on social media outside a local coffee shop that says you know you're not helping a big corporate CEO pay for something. You're helping a small business. Do something. I put pictures of my kids around everywhere in the pharmacy because I'm like, oh, thank you. You paid your copay today. Now, look, Colby and Amelia can do something fun. I now sure I'll guilt trip all out of our the cage and feed him today. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, Colby gets some water. You know things like that. But they, I mean, I had patients whenever I was pregnant, and they brought me 
handmade baby blankets because they knew all about everything that had gone on in our family. And we have uh, customers that bring us Thanksgiving dinner for our employees the week of Thanksgiving, yeah. you know, the Wednesday before. And, uh, you know, Christmas, all these sweet, sweet customers come and bring homemade fudge or any church lady kind of food that they've been cooking for years and bring it into the pharmacy. And, you know, because they're they're trying to help out our employees and they know that it's more than just a number when you come to one of our stores. Kind of like you said, John, when your HF pharmacist called you and said, are you still on this or, you know, should we contact your doctor? Things that the 1-800 number in the bottom of your mail order box is definitely not going to do. Right. So well said. But now that we're coming to the end of our happy hour and our drinks, and I have finished my coffee, but not totally my limoncello. Uh, let's just, uh, let's take a look here. What interesting things do you see ahead for pharma, for PBMs, for the healthcare industry, for anything over the next few months? We know there's for pharmacies, there's a DIR apocalypse coming at the end of the year. But between now and then, what interesting things do you think will be happening, if any? No, nothing strikes me as particularly interesting. I, I think it is interesting to see that, like I said, Congress is interested in PBMs. And so it'll be interesting to see where these bills go and what happens to them and whether or not they get hearings and what happens in those hearings and who gets invited to those. So that's from a political junkie perspective. That's what I see as relatively interesting is how far will this interest in PBMs go in Congress? Will it be just Bernie Sanders needing a soundbite? Or will it be something that actually happens? You know, Chuck Grassley can't stand PBMs and is great. So let's see, what are you going to do about it, buddy? Yes, hopefully before he turns 100. 912. <laughs> <laughs> He's far more alert than Diane Feinstein is. Oh, God, is, Feinstein, is, don't get me yes, started. Yes, yes. <sighs> Lauren, what about you? I hope that PBMs get pushed off a cliff. I hope that the DIR apocalypse that they talk about, I hope there is something, I don't know if the FTC finds it, someone finds it, and they realize that 2024 is a presidential election year, and let's let's do something big. I think this is where there could be something big happening. I think if COVID hadn't happened in 2020, there could have been more repercussions of the president before our current president. So maybe there could have been some things that actually were able to get done in 2020 had, you know, the COVID not happened and pandemic kind of took all the oxygen out of the room. I think this is a, hopefully something can happen. And I, I pray that it's going to be in 2024 so that we can keep some of those pharmacies, those 10 to 20% that may close down. But I'm I'm full on in support of PBMs have had their own way for a long time. I think we just get rid of them now because they're not doing anything. So we we let them have all the rules and they they haven't been saving money. So let's let's try it a different way. It's broken. Let's fix it. Let's fix it without them involved. I'd love to see all that greed that has been driving us to the point we're at now just finally come full circle and just backfire all the way on them because it's it's because of that that we are where we are. I, I used to say, and I still believe this, that there are problems throughout the system, no doubt. John's pointed to several in the conversation that we don't, we don't traditionally talk about when we're you know, having our, our happy hour discussions here, but you really can't fix the problem until you start somewhere. And these guys are just so obviously a problem. They're like 
you know, that mosquito that taps into the mother load vein and just keeps, you know, filling up and filling up until it explodes all over the place. So, you know, hopefully just by getting that out of the way, we can then work our way backward and figure out, well, what else is going on? Like, what about these brokers? Why do we need to have such a vertically integrated system? Who thought that an omni-channel was a good idea for healthcare? Jeremy, what about you? Uh, my predictions for the next three months is Karen Lynch will actually go back to Disney World and throw a Taylor Swift concert for all of the CVS executives. <laughs> uh, it will not be well received. Uh, and there will be an uprising in which they actually cook and eat all of the CVS executives. I can say that because I'm not on Twitter and we'll get banned again. <laughs> oh my God, mass cannibalism feast. My husband, my husband says all the time, "Eat the rich." I'm like, "Calm down. We don't want to eat anything. They're probably no, they very tasty. Anyway. They're probably very gamey. They don't do a lot, or they're you know, pickleball. Right. What can pickleball possibly do for these white guys? Come on, <laughs> string a fiddle with their guts and make them dance to our tunes. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys, it's been a lot of fun. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And for everyone who's listening, thanks for joining us. And we will see you next time on PBM on the Rocks. Cheers. 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 To learn more about Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency and how you can help fight PBM abuse of our healthcare system, visit our website, 